Lord, we thank you for your presence in our midst this morning. It's uh, very special. We, we sense your wooing our heart. We sense a bubbling up within us of uh, just a greater compassion for you, uh, a greater passion for you, Lord, and, and, and a greater awareness of your compassion upon us. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you'd continue to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 19, first phrase, and phrase, and this is the testimony of John. Now we know that the John that's being talked about here is not the Apostle John, the writer of this Gospel, but it's John the Baptist. And the Apostle is very concerned with testimony. And throughout his Gospel, as we're going to, come to find out, you're going to see that John is drilling down over and over again on testimony because it's by the witness of two or three that anything of, in the law is established. And so John begins throughout his gospel to give a narrative of people that give, a, give testimony, give a witness to, give assent to the ministry of Jesus. Uh, we're going to look at uh, the woman of Samaria, you know, that Jesus comes to. And she uh, interacts with Jesus ar ar around the well and, you know, runs to her hometown and shares everything that Jesus told about her. She gave simply this. She gave a witness about her inter interaction with and that life-changing transformation that she experienced through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The works of Jesus declared. Matter of fact, at Jesus' baptism, we see a Trinitarian view, a Trinitarian God speaking, the Son, the Father speaking from heaven, the dove ascending on the Son. I am well pleased, the Father says. And so over and over again in the Gospel of John, you see this thematically, you see this witness taking place and one of the prime examples of what it looks like to be a witness we find in John the Baptist. Now, he was kind of a crazy hippie guy. He was a definitely uh, of the prophetic type, of the countercultural type. We can look in, say, the Gospel of Mark, and we can see that uh, he was uh, dressed in camel skin. You know, right there, that would get your attention, if not your uh, sensory smell test, if you've ever been around a camel, those things are nasty and they stink. But uh, in Mark chapter 1, verse 6, you see that, that he, that he was, uh, his diet was also odd, you know, that he ate honey and wild locusts. Uh, but his message was, was direct and profound, and he gave a witness of the coming Messiah, the anointed one. That was coming. And we're going to see that he quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 3. And what John did, John the Baptist did, is a model for you and I. Is that our, our generation needs that same witness. John's generation needed a witness. And the Lord chose John to be a witness to his generation, just like he's chosen you and I. And the key to being a good witness is just to tell the truth. 
Tell the truth of what you've experienced with Jesus Christ. You don't need a seminary degree. Uh, all you need is uh, a born-again experience. And when you share that, you share that message that this is how my life was changed, this is how my life was transformed, that message goes out, and the Word says it does not return void because man, men and women and children never change. They always have a place in their heart that they're seeking forgiveness of sins. They're seeking redemption. They're seeking healing. They're seeking peace in their life. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 38, you see that the pious Jews of, of John's day, Luke 2, 38, they, they were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so as John witnessed, as he shared the truth about Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, as he shared those truths, as he called people to repentance, he found hearts that were being wooed and prepared by the Holy Spirit to respond to his message. And that's the truth in today's day, too. We don't need to be strong and mighty or eloquent. We simply need to do this, to give a witness that this is how Christ transformed and changed my life. We don't change people. We don't woo people to the Father. The Holy Spirit does that because he puts, he puts in the hearts of people a desire for redemption, a, re a desire for forgiveness. And when John did that, flocks of ordinary people began coming out of the uh, villages in Judea and Galilee and going into the desert because they found someone that could offer them what no one else could offer them. Forgiveness, wholeness, relationship with God. And when that happened, he got the, he got the attention of the religious establishment. Come back to the text with me. It says, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites, we're going to find that the Pharisees were part of this group in a moment. But the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him simply this, who are you? And impl impl uh, implied by the text there, who are you, is that they viewed him as a threat to the religious establishment because he wasn't, part, he wasn't ordained, he wasn't licensed, he wasn't you know, part of the association, he didn't have the secret handshake, didn't have the right Bible. He was a wild man that ate locusts and honey. That was preaching an offensive message to the religious establishment of that day. Because the baptism that John was calling them to was this water baptism by immersion. It was the same right that the Jewish people used for a proselyte, people that would convert to Judaism. And he's looking at the religious leaders of the day saying, you need this baptism. And they say, oh, we are the holy men. We got it all together. You ever try to correct a pastor? <laughs> I'd like to say it won't go well with you, but that's not true. People come and offer me suggestions all the time. But when you, when you confront someone that thinks he's right, when you, or her, when you confront him or her who thinks they're right and they're, they're religious, you're likely to get a negative reaction. And John goes on, as we're going to see in the text, not only does he call them to baptism, he says, you know, this Jesus, I'm not even worthy 
to take off the guy's sandals. I'm not even worthy to be a slave. And we know that the rabbis of the day were served by minions of little disciples. They served the rabbis of the day. But there's one thing a disciple of a rabbi wouldn't do. What do you think that thing is? Wouldn't take off the sandals. No, stinky feet. Only slaves did that. John says, I'm not worthy to even take the, the thong off the, off the top of his sandal. And so John comes with a message, and the religious leaders react, saying, who are you? And they go through this little, this little dialogue. Look at verses 23. He confessed and, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself, he said. And then he quotes Isaiah 43. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Take note of the building tension in the conversation. They ask the question, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Messiah is the Hebrew word uh, that we have that, that, that transliterates anointed. So Messiah means anointed. Christ is Greek word transliterated from anointing. And so Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. And what they're saying, are you the anointed one? Are you, are you the one that was prophesied to come out of Daniel chapter 9? Are you the one spoken of in Psalm 2 too? And, and he gives them Somewhat of a complete answer. I am not the anointed one. I am not the Christ. And so they get a little flustered with him, and they're digging into their bag and looking at their Old Testament, and they, they say to him, are you, are you Elijah? From Malachi uh, chapter 4, 5, and 6. Are you going to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the children to the father? And he, and he gets, he gets whoop, brings it shorter. I am not. I am not. Now we're going to find out later that he is like Elijah. Jesus says that he fulfilled the ministry of Elijah, but he is not. I am not. And now they're beginning to drill down. Are you the, they're getting desperate now. Are you the prophet? Speaking of Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19, are you that, that type of Moses that's going to come? And he just simply doesn't quite lose it, but he says what? No. And then he reveals his, his calling out of Isaiah 40, verse 3. That section of Isaiah, by the way, is amazing, Isaiah 40 to 60. We use a lot of it during Advent. The suffering servant, the one that comes and pays the penalty for our sin, the one that's the wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace, and so he quotes from the beginning of that section of Isaiah. He says, I am the voice. I am the one that's sent to make a highway, as some translations say, and to prepare the way for the Lord to come. What's of note there for you and I, and what's important when we consider the ministry of Jesus and, and the heart of the Father, is John was not sent to prepare a highway so so men and women could 
kind of find their way on that highway and find their way back to God. No. He prepared that highway in a sense, and metaphorically, he prepared that highway so, so what could happen? So God could reach and come down and reach men and women. See, God initiates his great salvation, his great merciful intervention. It is God who initiates. And John quotes Isaiah 43, say, I, my role is simply to prepare the way. He goes on, and uh, verses 24 and 28, he says, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So some of the Pharisees are amongst the delegation. And the Pharisees are, you know, they get a bum rap a lot of times, but the Pharisees, a lot of them were good men. We're going to see one of them in chapter 3, Nicodemus. And so they were really kind of particular about interpretation and credentials and all that stuff. And so they ask them, why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. But some, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now Bethany is a significant place. Tradition has it that that's, that's the ford, that's the crossing, that's the place where Joshua brought the children of Israel into the promised land. And what's another name for Joshua? Yeshua. What's another name for Yeshua? Jesus. And so if you follow the timeline, which requires a little bit of uh, connecting the dots and research, you know that Jesus was baptized six weeks prior to this by John the Baptist. And he was dri driven by the Holy Spirit into where? The wilderness? And now that time has come, and he's been victorious over the devil by the word of God. And he comes and he crosses that ford, and John is stunned. But now he knows that that Jesus who he baptized, he's heard that the testimony's confirmed. And Jesus crosses into that area, Bethany. And John, it all comes together for him. Oh, he's that substitute. He's that, he's that substitute that God gave Abraham when he wanted to sacrifice Isaac. Oh, he's that lamb that was slain in the blood on the doorpost and the lintels, and the death angel passed by. Oh, he's that sacrifice. For the sins of people, once a year the high priest comes into the Holy Holies. He's the Lamb of God. And he is standing among you, and you really don't know it. John exalts Christ, and he calls a religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests, the Levites, he calls them, not just to have an outside or an external righteousness, but he points them to Christ. And he says, this person is the anointed one and the Lamb of God. And he will baptize you, not outwardly, but inwardly with the Holy Spirit, signifying that.
the transformation that comes through a personal relationship with the Lamb of God, the Anointed One. Look at the text with me. The next day he saw Jesus, 29 through 31. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me. It's an important phrase there. <laughs> Pharisees were real concerned about the pecking order of things. Who comes before? Who comes after? Because if you came before, you have a higher standing. And John points to the Logos. John the Baptist points to the preexistence of Christ is that he, comes, he came way before me. Came way before me. And because of that, I am not worthy to untie him. He, after, uh, untie his sandal. After he comes, a man who ranks before me because he was before me, I myself didn't know him, but this perp, for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel, thus completing John the Baptist's mission and witness. And we come to a close in verse 32 and 34. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is the one that does, does the change from the inside out. This is the one that brings forth the new birth, which we'll find a, learn about when we come to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And I have seen, and I have what? I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John is all concerned with witness. Now, I know that, that from pastoring for a long time, I know people struggle with, how do I give a witness? Is it like in some Baptist churches? Can I have a witness? And what do they shout out? Well, can I have a witness? Oh, you guys are sad. Need some hooting and hollering and jumping. But that's the role that we all have. We all have a role to give a witness. And a witness is about something you've experienced. Something you've seen with your eyes, like 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. You've seen it with your eyes. You've touched it. You've walked with him. That's what a witness is. Our world needs a witness, needs a witness today, this afternoon, this week, a witness that there's a greater kingdom in play here. Our lives are not driven by contemporary situations. Our peace isn't dependent upon a political structure. Our peace is secured because of Jesus Christ, our eternal destiny. It's secured because there's, there's a lamb slain before the foundation of the world and the plan and heart and the love of God. And that lamb, his name is Jesus Christ. We need a witness. Something you've experienced. You might ask yourself, well, I don't know the Bible enough. Doesn't matter. Have you experienced Jesus Christ? The world's looking for, not, the world is looking for someone that has experienced transformation in their life. They're not looking for a theologian. 
of someone that has a doctor, a minister. They're, they're not looking for anybody like that. They're, they want to know, does it work? Will grace change your life? And grace has changed all your lives. Everyone that's sitting in front of me, grace has changed your life, and you have the answer that our community, your family, the turmoil in our country, you have the answer because you've experienced the love and peace and joy that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. John gave his witness. Are you up for the challenge? Because I believe this week you're going to have an opportunity to give a witness because someone will come across your path that their world has been rocked. And all you, can say, all you could say to them, all, you know, a suggestion, is let me tell you about someone that gives you peace, that transcends your circumstances. And can I pray for you? Nancy and I, not only do we have a romantic dinner, but we got to walk Crane Beach yesterday afternoon when it was about 70. And oh, I just love it. Especially the, the part that's towards the Essex River. They get this really fine white sand and it gets in between your toes. And it's all warm. And you just go, <sighs> And then that cool breeze comes off the ocean. <laughs> and there were a lot of people on the beach. It was packed out. I mean packed. And we were walking behind this, this young couple. <laughs> it, was so, it was hilarious. And they were, they, they were having a conversation that you could hear. And the, the guy was saying, yeah, yeah, but it's wrong, and yeah. And my wife looks at him and goes, yeah, but he won. <laughs> and you can see the tension. We can give a witness to that. That we know someone that can give peace and security and comfort that transcends, transcends the kingdom of this world because he's the Lord of lords and the king of kings, king of kings, and nothing shall thwart his kingdom to change hearts and minds and bring peace and comfort and salvation to men and women. Just like the people that John the Baptist spoke to because they were seeking a better kingdom and they were seeking the redemption of Jerusalem. And God has put that desire in every heart, every person in their heart has a desire for that type of redemption. Can you give a witness? Well done. Well, there's a tremendous day awaiting for us. It's going to be warm. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to have Gavin cook me lunch. How's that sound? <laughs> God bless you guys. You guys have a great day in the Lord. See you next week. Thanks for joining us from home. God bless you. Natasha's going to come and close us out.